0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City-based saxophonist, composer, educator, and author Adam Larson. His latest 2019 CD, "Listen with Your Eyes," is his fifth record and was released on Ropa Dope Records. It's getting solid reviews. Adam is originally from Normal, Illinois, a few hours from Chicago, and he started playing saxophone at the age of 11. After graduating from the university high school in 2008, he moved on to New York City. He originally got baptized in that Chicago scene and then spent 12 years in New York City, and now he is gladly calling Kansas City home. He's currently on the faculty of the University of Missouri-Kansas City at their conservatory, and he couldn't be happier with the scene and things in Kansas City. He's got great stories, great insights, so please get to know Adam and dig this interview, my friends.
1: First of all, welcome to Kansas City. It's, uh, an, it's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you today. I appreciate it.
2: Oh, man, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you taking time.
1: Oh, man, absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive right in here to listen with your eyes. The New York Times have reviewed this. It's been lauded all over the place. as a wonderful album. I can vouch for it myself. So I want to know from you, as you progress as an artist, and a musician going from New York to Kansas City and and all of these things that are happening. What went into this album? What was kind of the overriding creative uh, id, so to speak, for this project?
2: You know, the band that's on the record, uh, we played together for almost two years uh, monthly at this venue in uh, New York called the 55 Bar. And so it was a good chance for me to workshop a lot of the material that ended up making the record. I've always been trying uh, to be in the habit uh, of documenting my work, um in the form of a CD, whenever I feel like I have a, uh, a group of materials that I, I feel, uh, confident about putting, uh, in record, So, I just workshopped a lot of different stuff over the course of two years, and this band is, uh, highly capable of dealing with whatever I brought in. So, essentially, at a certain point, I decided, okay, I've played these tunes to the point where I feel like I would like to, uh, make a record out of it.
1: You are originally from Norman, Illinois, and I want to know, how did you get involved with jazz? What was your childhood like?
2: Yeah, I mean, growing up in Normal was, uh, was interesting. You know, there, there, weren't, uh, there weren't jazz clubs, uh, you know, uh, in the way that we think about them. There were places that might have music, you know. So I grew up in a, a musical household. Both my parents uh, were band directors at one point. My mother still is. And so um, I played uh, every weekend from the time I could basically play until I left for college with my father, who's a drummer. And, uh, he instilled in me, as did my mom at a very young age, you know, the importance of, uh, being your own business person, uh, and being able to find work for yourself. You know, that's what I was referring to a second ago. There weren't jazz clubs, so there are plenty of places that, you know, with a little bit of effort, uh, and some ability to communicate, uh, you could, uh, set up some, some opportunities to, to play. I was able to play, like I said, with my father, uh, on a weekly basis, you know, sometimes multiple times a week, from the time I was about 14. As I left for college,
1: your dad was a drummer, your mom was a band director. You could have picked any instrument. Why was it the saxophone?
2: Yeah, my mother's a trumpet player. you know, I kind of narrowed it down to trumpet drums uh or saxophone, and I just decided that I wanted to try to do something different uh so that was the original impetus. was just trying to do something different than what my parents played.
1: What were some of the early jazz albums that you listened to that
2: really got you thinking man this is this is it. My father was really into a lot of the fusion stuff in the seventies. So I remember listening to Jay Beckenstein, uh saxophone player of Spyrogyra, and um Mark Russo was the the very early uh incarnation of Yellow Jackets and of course Bob Minzer in the Yellow Jackets that we're all, you know, probably more familiar with it in the past quarter century. And then uh I remember vividly listening to uh a Brecker Brothers record called Back to Back, uh which was kind of an interesting one to first hear because it was probably one of the more commercial ones um that they ever put out with vocals on it and some I don't want to say smoother, but just some more, I guess, romantic tracks on it than something like heavy metal bebop. And there was one solo, though, on a song called Night Flight. That, that was the first time I ever heard Michael Brecker. And after hearing that solo, you know, uh, in conjunction with uh, seeing some other live performances around that same point in my early uh, development, that was what made me kind of
1: uh, really want
2: to try to pursue just uh, in general becoming a really good saxophone
1: player. Who were some early mentors or what was some early advice that you got that really, really rang true and got you going?
2: My biggest mentor for the saxophone was a, a gentleman named uh, Larry Harms who uh, teaches at Illinois Central College in East Peoria, Illinois. It's been pretty remarkable to witness uh, the, uh, the history of, of his studio and students that have come through it and what they're all up to. Saxophonist Greg Ward. Who, uh, was a member of the Chicago jazz scene forever I and mean, still is. He spent some time in New York and now he teaches at Indiana University. Um, he was in Larry's studio about 10 years before I was and then another fantastic saxophonist named Doug Stone was in the studio at the same time as Greg and he teaches at LSU. And so it, it's just kind of cool to be part of a, a lineage of students that we all essentially studied, uh, in the middle of absolutely nowhere, uh, and, and have gone on to do Uh, some really cool things, but some of the best advice I ever got was just the seriousness of which you have to take your your practicing, your study to become a good musician. And That's something that I've always tried to remind myself of and impart other students, and it takes a tremendous amount of work on the instruments to to get to where you want to be to to
1: find success. So as you adjust your rearview mirror here in Kansas City and you look back at New York, the beginnings of all of this was obviously in the Chicago jazz scene. What was that like in the beginning? How did that groom you to really get your chops moving in the right direction?
2: Well, you know, normal's like two and a half hours from Chicago. I actually, as a kid, I didn't get up to Chicago hardly at all um, because most of the um, age restrictions on clubs in Chicago were a lot more strict than going two and a half hours the other direction to St. Louis, where they had Jazz at the Bistro, um, which typically never had um, any age restriction on the shows uh, there. So. I actually would go down there and hear a lot of people um, uh, every year. So that was uh, crucial to my development uh, because I just got to be hearing high-level music, you know, when, when at the time uh, it was where the same location, but it was the older um, incarnation of the bistro. I saw Kenny Garrett there, Josh Redman, Yellow Jackets, SF Jazz Collective, Chris Potter, Michael Brecker, you know, um, all kinds of amazing shows. So that that was really good for me just to constantly be, uh, reminded of, of a world outside of normal Illinois, which is, you know, uh, very different. It was just two and a half hours away. So I would say that the thing that did the most for me was just gave me an opportunity to hear uh,
1: this music at an extremely high level. After that, you move on to New York City and you you pursue your bachelor's and your master's degree. That was probably, I'm sure, one of the bigger experiences in your jazz walk, just to be in the cauldron of everything jazz. Talk to me about how things kind of began in New York and how they progressed, what you kind of learned over time there.
2: Yeah, I mean, New York was great. I remember having a lot of conversations with different people um, that I looked up to in, in the music industry, you know, especially in the jazz world, about whether or not it was the right decision to move from, you know, a very small community by comparison, you know, uh, you know Illinois to New York as an 18 year old. And I remember talking with, um, you know, fantastic jazz drummer Matt Wilson about the topic, and he was saying, you know, New York isn't for everybody, and it, it won't be uh, going anywhere anytime soon. But he he kind of gave me the confidence that my playing ability was uh, high enough, I suppose, uh, that I wouldn't be completely overwhelmed uh, by moving. So when I got there, uh, my prime directive was to try to meet as many people as I possibly could, both inside the school, but also more importantly outside of the school, and uh, develop a, a, a large pool of musicians that. Uh, inspired me so that when I got my own projects, uh, going at some point that I might be able to, to call, uh, them to play. So that really jump started everything for me because, like you said, I was in this, this uh, amazing cauldron, you know, I think it's the word you used and, uh, of, of just amazing musicians and, and opportunity to hear, um, you know, a great show literally every day, you know, for, for 11 years if I wanted to. It was really it was really special, you know, my time in New York was really great. I feel like for the most part, uh, there are very few things, I should say, that I didn't accomplish uh, that, I, that I thought I was going to or wanted to accomplish when I left there, left to go there in 2008.
1: So what was one of the first live jazz shows you saw and you were like, man, this is what I want to do with my life?
2: Probably Josh Redman Elastic Trio, right when the Elastic Records reg- 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 came out. I remember getting that from my father for Christmas when I was like eleven. And then the next year I saw uh that band with um Jeff Ballard and Samuel and Josh Redman at Chicago Symphony Center. Um and then getting to meet Josh backstage, you know, when I had this like transcription book and he signed it and all that. I was you know, that was really special to me and I think from there I just decided uh, you know, that's something I want to try to do. So pro- probably that one if I had to pinpoint it.
1: So this is your fifth album. Listen with your eyes. You've been at this for quite some time. You've traversed, you know, a lot of geography. When you look back right now and you look forward, are you happy with where you're at in this position in time?
2: Uh, yes and no. You know, I, I think the thing that makes me um, uh, continue to 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 press on with all this is that I'm never really content uh, with everything. I think that's a pretty common thread between most serious musicians or you know whatever profession you're in is that. If you become content with something that you may not push yourself to get to that next part of of uh your capability, I would say that you know a lot of things about my current situation um being here uh on the life side, you know the personal side have have definitely uh improved New York is a hard place to live if you're single, but it's also really hard to live if you're trying to raise a young family. So being here, I'm very happy about that aspect of it. You know, to be completely honest, it, it's taken all, a little bit of time and I'm, I've just not been here long enough to kind of get a lay of the land of what the musical landscape is. And I, of course, knew that it wasn't going to be New York. No place is. You don't know how that's going to feel or how it's going to affect you on a day-to-day basis until you live somewhere different. So um, I think the thing that is really cool about KC is that there are plenty of musicians. And I knew this, you know, uh, I knew this well before I decided to move here. You know, in fact, that was the only uh, reason artistically why I even considered this was because there is a, a tight-knit group of musicians that I knew would um, really inspire me, um, you know. So uh, I, I'm I'm happy to be able to walk out of my house here and be pushed and, and play with people that um, are at a certain level. Um, professionally, though, you know, I, I think there are things that are, are, are still on my horizon, certainly, and stuff that I haven't uh, necessarily um, achieved that I want to do. But, uh, you know, I don't don't see myself slowing down uh, at any time uh, in the near future, let's
1: put it that way. On the outside looking in, you know, I always hear musicians say they aspire to move to New York. That's the place. That's where they want to be. And I think you've described pretty aptly why you came to Kansas City. But I think it's still strange in a good way to me. The Kansas City is a destination point. It used to be a springboard to another city, and now we're seeing musicians of your caliber coming into Kansas City. So my question is, what, what do you like best about Kansas City, not only as a city, but as a group of musicians and a destination point? How, how, why does that make so much sense in 2019?
2: I mean, it's it's um you know it's as much as much professional as it is personal. You know, um, obviously living in New York, you know the cost of living there is quite high and the quality of life is quite low. To be really honest, you know, um, the only reason why I stayed there as long as I did is because there are things that artistically um, I hadn't got to uh, that I wanted to try to achieve before I left. And uh, at a certain point, professional and personal uh, met in the middle, and decided I got to change something for KC. You know, you, you have. Uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I, full disclosure, I looked at Chicago as an option. You know, I'm already tied into the state of Illinois and have a lot of friends who live in Chicago, but I'll go out and limb and say that I think that there's a more diverse scene happening here musically speaking, um, you know, than, than there might be in Chicago, especially for the kind of music that I play. You know, for instance, if I go to Chicago, there are typically one, two, maybe people I can call on each instrument that I, that I can know will feel comfortable. You know, uh, everybody's going to sound good, but feel comfortable on my music. You know, and um, here I feel like you know there's a core group of musicians that can deal uh, on the kind of music that I write and I like to play. There's also a lot of musicians that can do a lot of other things uh, uh, very well. Yet I don't, I haven't encountered a um, large like free or avant garde scene here in KC. But maybe I'm just not doing my homework. Mm-hmm. But in, in Chicago, you know, that is, is much more um, uh, prevalent there. You know, um, so that's something that I that I really dabble into a whole lot. I you know. I remember calling Peter Schlamm and Eddie Moore and Marcus Lewis and and people that I've known for a long time and just asking them about uh, the scene here, you know, and based on their answers, I felt uh, confident enough to, to give it a go.
1: So now that you've been down this jazz road for a little while and you've established yourself, if you had a dream tonight, you ran into your younger self and you could give yourself, your younger self advice, what would be the first piece of advice you would give them? Oh
2: man! Don't compare yourself to others. It's a, it's a very uh, emotionally unintelligent thing to do, and it's really hard to not do it when you're in the arts. That'd be the first thing, by and large. You know, I've spent uh, a large portion of my twenties uh, wasting time on that exercise, which is completely fruitless. The second one would be more patient. I think, in, in some terms, that you know, or some regards, you should say that the fact that I'm. Uh, you know, can't sit still and and, and want to uh, be doing the next thing is a good thing uh, because I think it's allowed me to have a lot of success in, in certain areas of my career. But I also think that you know, just stopping to uh, breathe every once in a while is also a good thing to consider. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if I look back on on younger younger me, I just say be be patient and and uh, you know try to turn some of the, the outside noise and distraction off. Uh, you know, because you, you only it only makes you that much more focused.
1: So now that you're in Kansas City, if you could go down to A.T. and Vine and close your eyes and take out that magical Robert Altman brush and go right back to the heyday and walk into a club and see somebody play, who would be your dream show in Kansas City to go see? Oh, man, Bird. You know, not, not even like a question immediately. You know, that, that would be
2: amazing. Um, you know, uh I, yeah, hands down, that would be it. Yeah, yep, absolutely.
1: So very simply put, why do you love jazz?
2: Uh, for me, you know, like uh, uh, the music itself, there's, you know, I mean, self-expression is a pretty lazy uh, answer, but, you know, it, it, is what it is like, you know, how many other jobs do you get to to create, you know, and that's the basis of how you make your income. You know, it's, it's. there's other jobs out there that do that, but I would say if you took a pool of 10 people and you asked them, like, do you get to create on a daily basis, and then furthermore, do you enjoy what you do, the answer is probably going to not be, you know, very many yeses. As much as it can be difficult to be an artist and, and, and be a jazz musician, you know, um, there's a tremendous upside to being uh, in, in creative work. And so for me, you know, the spirit of improvisation, you know, that's that's something that uh, to be successful at this, you have to improvise on the instrument, but you also have to be able to improvise, you know, uh, to put your career together. So, I like the challenge of that, and I think that's not so dissimilar, excuse me, from, from looking at a hard set of changes, you know, and, uh, being able to navigate your way through that. So, that's why I like jazz, because it's, it's, it's a, an opportunity to create constantly, you know, engage that part of your brain, but also, uh, take unique approaches to overcoming obstacles, you know, which is a life lesson that, you know, when applied to different things is, a, a really, a
1: really good thing to have a handle on. So you've had a, a chance to see three pretty major scenes in major cities from both a professional on the stage perspective and an educational perspective between Chicago, New York, and Kansas City. So my question is, how healthy is jazz in 2019 in America?
2: That question gets asked a lot, and I think depending on who who answers the question and what kind of skew they give on it, you know, people will get all upset uh, based on the answer. No, I'll just put it this way. You know, like I'm able to support my family doing only the things I want to do, which is something that I've always wanted to get to a point to do with jazz. And I think that, you know, it's, um, uh, I think we do a lot better for ourselves as a community. If we had a fundamental change in our mindset, you know, I think historically when you tell somebody who's uh, not a musician that you're a jazz musician, you know, they start to make some thoughts start to form in their head about certain perceptions that they think a jazz musician does. And one of those things is, you know, that there's no money in music and that, you know, jazz musicians are X, Y, or Z, you know, uh, and they have bad habits or whatever. But, you know, I think I think jazz right now, to me, it's exciting, you know, and and it's still exciting. Otherwise, I would have probably quit a long time ago. There's certainly, um, you know, 2019, so there's a lot of other things that go into music and, and, and music and projects and um, there's quite a bit of overlap between, you know, uh, what we consider jazz as someone and, and another person that's hip hop and there's some kind of meeting of the minds in the middle, you know, I think it's, I think it's all healthy, you know, I, I think as Charlie Parker were alive today, you know, uh, he, he, he's an innovator, right? So I don't think he would still be playing Don Lee. He could still do it, but I think in, you know, in the spirit of like who he was and where he took the music, I feel like, you know, he probably dig some of the stuff that's, happening now and like everybody else you probably have the team about stuff they didn't like too you know but i think the thing is that there's there's a lot of good music happening you know so uh i'm encouraged by that
1: what do you like best about the kansas city jazz thing
2: everybody's pretty kind you know people look out for each other i don't know who's to say maybe it's because i was new in town or whatever but you know i moved here and i played more because of the side man in two months than i had in probably two years in new york city so obviously there's there's um there's less musicians, right, and and the competition isn't as uh, cutthroat as New York. But at the same time, you know, even even the way that, that the musicians interact with each other, I think, is um, overwhelmingly pretty positive. You know, I'm not saying people don't, you know, they're not positive in New York, but I think um, I think there's a little bit more ability to look outside of your own individual self, you know, here, which is cool. But like I said, there's there's lots of good musicians in different that play different styles of music. You know, so if I want to play mixed-meter music, I can call people.
1: If I want to play straight ahead, I
2: can call people, you know. Um, and I think that's really, really great. My
1: final question to you is this. Everyone has a perception or their interpretation of who they think you are. Your family, your friends, your fans, your colleagues. But you know who you are, best. Who do you think you are?
2: Yeah, it's a really tough question. You know, um, I, I, think, uh, I think it's important to take a holistic uh, or I guess a whole – a comprehensive look um of who you are and how that affects your or informs your priorities in life. You know, if you would ask me that question uh ten years ago, I would have said I'm a saxophonist. That would have been the first thing out of my mouth. You know, now my the first thing is husband, followed by father, followed by saxophonist. My music informs how well I become the other two things, not the other way around. You know, that's the thing that people might not see. You know, uh, they might not see that I'm you know those things are take priority in my life at this point, which is being a good husband and being a good father. And I think that truly makes me a better musician in the long run.
1: Right on. Adam, hey, man, thank you very much for taking some time out. Welcome to Kansas City, and I look forward to seeing you live out there. Hey, man, thanks a lot, Joe. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Chicago, New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Adam for his time, music, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit NeonJazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
2: on jazz